Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked-up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil & Gas Onshore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeka, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier. Welcome to this week's episode. We're here at the Canon with Stephen Pope, engineer at Durango Resources. How you doing today, Stephen? Doing great, Justin. How you doing? Awesome. Well, better now that you're here and you made my job a heck of a lot easier by coming in with like your own show notes and everything. I got to tell you, I have to give this man some credit because I'm pretty sure he spent more time preparing for this recording than anyone I know. So whether that helps us or not, I give Stephen major kudos because he did all the work for me. So this is one of the better episodes. You know, whoever's out there that has a podcast, you need to get him on because he comes prepared. I got to say. This episode's fueled by Perfect Keto. Whether you're on a keto diet or simply looking for a healthy snack alternative and a resource for healthy eating, Perfect Keto offers it all. I especially like this stuff when I'm on the road because it's keto-style snack that doesn't spike blood sugars. And for anyone out there who has a somewhat inclination on health, you know, blood sugar spikes and drops cause that afternoon drowsiness and crash. So, you know, when I was driving to the rig, you know, actually last weekend, I had some snacks with me and it was good because when I got to the rig at about 730 at night, I was still dialed in and didn't feel like I needed to hit a power nap or drink some coffee. So a shout out to those folks. They do a great job. And another big shout out to to our friend, Jose Solis. He's the one who uh, made the connection and made this happen for us. So yeah. Shout out to Jose. Anyway, so Stephen, have you ever even been on a podcast before or is this your first time? No, I can't say I've ever been on a podcast. This okay. is the first one I've ever been on. Good. Are you excited? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Good, Good yeah. deal, man. Well, you see me, and I'm excited for that. Do you listen to podcasts? Yeah, yeah. I have uh, quite a few podcasts that I like to listen to. Never really thought about being on one before, though. No um, kidding. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you took a dive. So what kind of podcast do you like, man? Well, actually, after Jose told me about this one, I started listening to this one. And, okay, uh, good. Thanks for the support. Yeah, yeah. I've been doing that for about five or six weeks now, so I take it take it on my jogs. with got yeah. the Bob Stroller and, and my, my little eight-month-old girl. And wow, congratulations. Thank you very much. How's that so, been going? Oh, it's been great, man. Yeah? Uh, is it the first one or second? This is the first one for me. Holy and, smokes. Yep, yeah, it's been awesome. She's just last night kind of started saying a dad dad what uh, i don't it, know if i don't insane. know if she knows that it's me or not but she's making the noise anyway yeah so it's that's pretty- that's exciting so you know when when children hit these milestones it's you know when you talk to you know friends or, or people who haven't had kids in a long time it's kind of whatever but you know being in that moment and seeing them develop and and create you know, just, just life. It's, it's amazing. And, you know, we have a three and a half year old daughter. So of course she thinks, and she knows it all. So I always tell her, I'm like, honey, you need to throw away your eyes and ears. Cause apparently, you know, and have heard everything like, and she's like, daddy, I know everything. I know where my knees are and I know my colors <laughs> and I know shapes. And she's like, I want to go to work. I'm like, yeah, you probably could. Like, and she always claims that she knows so much, but you know, seeing like how you're experiencing with like different you know, words and just the progression and development. You're in for a wild ride, man. And I'm certainly excited for you. And it seems like you embrace the, you know, going out and jogging and going for walks and stuff. And they need that stuff, man. It's uh, that's exciting. Any other big milestones lately for her? Yeah. I mean, she's crawling and, and, I like to say walking, but she's walking with my help a little bit, you know? Nice. Yeah. She, you said she's eight months. Yeah. Okay. It's funny. So our daughter was similar, you know, around the eight, nine months, you know, she, you really started seeing some, some milestones. Our son, I don't know if like my daughter got all the, you know, all the talent and IQ and, and he just, he has all the muscle cause he's about the same weight as she is, but 
He's not talking. He's not crawling. He's not walking. All he's doing is blowing spit bubbles and and <laughs> grunting. So I don't know if that's a function of just you know slow male development, but he's definitely not on the same path our daughter was. So yeah, it's uh, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Well, each kid is different, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're not too worried about it. My daughter or my wife's concerned. She's like, oh, you know, maybe we need to look into that. I'm like. I wasn't walking or talking. Like yeah. I can barely walk and talk now, and I'm 33 years old. So give him a break. He's nine months. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Anyway, I didn't mean to get sidetracked there. So podcast. You listen to podcasts. You said you listen to this one, which huge thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, what other ones do you listen to? Yeah, a few others that I like to listen to. One is called Real Truth, Real Quick. Another is called okay. Ask Pastor John. Both of them are kind of podcast from churches that I've either, you know, been to or been kind of associated with. And, you know, the pastors will kind of answer questions that, you know, a lot of people ask. People write into them and ask them, ask them uh, questions and they can kind hmm. of help navigate through those through those things in life. Yeah, that's actually a really neat idea. It's really cool. It's a really neat way that pastors can, you know, help answer the questions that everybody's asking but nobody nobody you know stands up in the middle of a congregation and ask yeah right? yeah and so no that's interesting do you have any like are really any common questions that really kind of hit home or that you know that stand out because i would i mean even just hearing you talk about it i'm like well of course i have questions yeah you know? yeah like a good example for me one that i always kind of wondered about was you know how how old is the earth right because the truth is that in the Bible you can trace Adam, you can trace Jesus's genealogy all the way back to Adam, and so I always wondered, wow, how does how does that work if if you know Adam, you know was was on Earth and the world was made in seven days, or maybe you could you could say that you don't necessarily trust the or believe that Genesis is a is a direct narrative of exactly what happened. You could say it's poetic, but but to help explain that, you know, one of the pastors uh, Todd Wagner from the church I went to in Dallas he kind of said well well think of it this way when god created adam nobody's nobody's saying that god created adam from you know a fetus and then and then birthed him into a man god yeah. created adam as a fully grown man right yeah. with the appearance of you know maturity why couldn't he create the world in the same way with the appearance of maturity the yeah. reason that one's an interesting one for me is because I think I always believed that the earth was was young, right? And then I got into oil and gas. This is my first, and we'll talk more about that later. But when yeah. I got into oil and gas, I had no background of, ge of geology, never really understood any of that out of college. And geologists would, you know, come and say, well, this, you know, rock is x millions of years or billions of years old. And I always kind of, how does that work? Yeah. And, and then it made me realize, okay, well... How much greater is is God if He in fact made a, a world that has the appearance to us of age? Ah. And so I I think it's a, a very interesting theory. I'm not saying that you as a Christian have to believe that theory. Like there's sure. other things out there. Yeah. But I just I, I don't know. Anyway, so that's just one small example. Dude, of, that's uh, of, I mean we could go podcasts. down a huge rabbit hole with that, and that's, that's <laughs> yeah, certainly exactly. interesting because that's always my thought is like. You know, I grew up Christian and, you know, my parents, you know, we went to church on Sundays and it's just, I always had a lot of questions because I'm, I'm such a binary, the way my mind works. And it's like, unless you can, you know, calculate it or see it, it's hard to believe. And, and at the end of the day, you just have to, you know, believe in what, you know, the, mm -hmm. the Bible or, you know, whatever faith it is that, you know, you're, you kind of follow, but just 
just realizing that there's something greater than you. And, and I think that's the important thing, but it's certainly an interesting topic. I'll, I'll have to touch and then even yeah. listen to a few of them. Cause you know, it's, it's something that was part of my growing up with, you know, having a religious background. And of course my, you know, my, my family beyond my mother and father, they also have a strong religious background. And so, yeah, it's, I find, do you find nowadays that, that the younger generation is losing that sense of spirituality? I think that for the sake of quote unquote tolerance, we're, we're heading in a negative direction, right? Sure. I think that tolerance used to mean you believe one thing and I believe, you know, another thing and, and that's okay. But for some reason in the past, you know, several years, I think we've headed in the direction of, I have my truth and you have to believe my truth. And if you don't believe my truth, well, then, you know, then you're in the wrong. And, and I think that that's, that's a negative thing. I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's, that's correct. I think that there is an absolute truth. And I think that if you're searching for the absolute truth, you should look to the Bible. Yeah, no, very cool. I can appreciate that. Yeah. So what is the, what is the term God to you? What is that? What define God? Do you, are you able to answer that? Because I'm always interested because you obviously have a good spiritual background and understanding yeah. of what, I mean, do you have a simple definition of what that would be? God is, uh, I guess, the maker of the heavens and earth, the creator, the sustainer, the author and perfecter of, of you know, just uh, just everything that ever existed. Boom, there it is. I like it. I, I do. I do. I like that. Anyway, so would you say you're like pretty I mean, would you say you're really religious then or? Well, it depends on what you mean when you say the word religious, I guess. If, if, if by religious, you mean, you know, I have a lot of rituals that I, that I do, that I have to do in order to get God's approval, then I'd say no. But if by religious, you mean, you know, that I've, I guess, as Romans 12 says, been renewed by the transforming of, of my mind and, and have come to the reality that I'm a sinner, you know, fallen from fallen from perfection that God demands and I need Jesus, you know, then, then yes, I would, I would say that I'm religious if that's how you're defining it. I got you. No, that's pretty neat, man. So do you believe in the big bang theory? I believe, I mean, I guess I've seen a bumper sticker that, that, (laughs) you know, God said bang and it happened. So I guess, I guess I would go with that. I like that. No, that's, that's hilarious, man. I just thought of that randomly. I'm like, I wonder if he did so yeah, you know, you know, the bumper sticker says it all. I love it. But uh, anyway, let's before we keep going, let's take a quick break. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and do me a huge favor and take a few minutes and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated, good or bad. Also, if you feel like you have a great story, idea for a show, or if you simply just have any questions, please hit me up on LinkedIn. So Stephen, tell me a little bit about your background and you know where you grew up and sort of the journey. Sure. So yeah, I grew up in Angleton, Texas, which is uh, just about an hour and a half south of, of Houston here. Okay. Yeah. So my dad worked in the chemical plants down there. You know, most people are familiar with Dow. It's just kind of a subset of Dow. It's a uh, Schenectady. And you know, I always, always thought that I would work in the chemical plants too. I, I, I didn't uh, you know, I liked engineering. We actually had a high school program for engineering, okay. which I think is a little bit unique, but I loved that. I loved math and, and science and especially chemistry. So okay. so I, I said, well, heck, I'm going to study chemical engineering. Dad said, well, then you need to meet some of these chemical engineers that are out here at the at the plants. And so I, you know, kind of 
expected that would be my natural fit. Sure. So were you always, so it sounds like from an early age, you were always interested in math and science and, yeah. and everything. Very mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. It, like right from the get-go or did you have any other interests? Well, you know, I, I, I guess I had a lot of other interests, especially sure. at the, at the, at the age, you know, yeah. football and, and other things like that. But as far as, as far as actually studying, um, uh, you know, it was a whole lot better than history or yeah or, or english or something like i that. hear you know and the reason i ask is i have a huge appreciation for that and i have a hard time identifying because i i just grew up I, I really didn't enjoy school i i had a hard time studying math and science like just all that stuff just came very difficult for me so i find it interesting like i interviewed someone roland reyes actually he's a very extremely intelligent young man and yeah, he would, he joined like when he was in high school, like math and science competitions. And I was just like, and like all this stuff comes so easy. And I'm like, I have to study like, like even like simple algebra, like it took me forever to quite understand it. And so again, I don't know if it's the champagne my mom drank when she, when she was pregnant or what, but again, I just, I find it very interesting that someone just has that, that natural aptitude to be able to, to just understand that stuff. So, you know, good for you. And obviously you, you recognized it, you capitalized on it and then your dad was like, you know, here's what you need to do. So anyway, not to derail you there, but I was just curious. So, yeah. So, you know, I I would say that I I struggled more with like reading, you know, reading books and stuff like that. They would have accelerated reader points that you had to get every single six weeks to, to meet the requirements and always struggled with that, but, you know, taking home a math problem and and getting my homework done. That was always a lot easier. Gotcha. Um, And then in high school, I really liked chemistry. So I thought, well, heck I'll, you know, follow my sister's footsteps and go to A&M and study chemical engineering. Good for you. They got a pretty strong chemical engineering background, hey? Yeah, absolutely. Cool, because most of the folks that I interviewed that from A&M, they, do, they did petroleum engineering. So was there a reason why you chose chemical versus petroleum? Or? Well, like I said, you know, my dad was in the chemical plants and, and I always also heard that the, that was the most diverse opportunities, you know, yeah. was once you started in chemical engineering, you could go in lots of different routes that's a good call and that's some folks even say like going to doing, doing petroleum obviously it's it's served its purpose and it's gotten them you know into a great career but oftentimes they say either chemical or mechanical would have been nice because you know like if something were to happen in the oil field or whatever then they can go at least apply somewhere else and they've got it's a bit broader while it's still somewhat specialized but yeah i can certainly understand where you're coming from on that one so how was your time at a&m is it as crazy and fun and exciting as everyone else says it is oh yeah it's yeah. so crazy and, and yeah it's so it, it's absolutely exciting you know went to all the football games and, and cool. loved that the first football game that I remember was when my sister was a freshman there and we beat OU. OU came in, you know, ranked number one. Yeah. A&M was not ranked at all. And I mean, it was just the hardest hitting game that I can remember. No way. And so what year yeah, was that? I think it was 2006. Yeah. It would have been. Okay. Yeah. 2000, 2000. No, it was 2002. Sorry. 2002. Okay. And so at that point I was a sophomore in high school and, and I was sold. That's, I knew that's where I was going. I mean, just all the traditions and stuff like that, you know, you got midnight yell, fish camp, and it it really is a school of camaraderie. It's, it's just, it's just fun to go. Yeah. That's what I hear. And so what, and, and I heard, and I don't know why I just thought of this, but wasn't there at some point like a fire, like everyone like had a big 
bonfire or something at one point. Yeah. And then that doesn't happen because there was an accident right. or something. 1998, I believe, was, a, was oh. a big bonfire accident that, you know, unfortunately, 12 Aggies lost their lives. Um, oh, no. While building, you know, it was, a, again, it's a school that's rich and steeped in tradition. And yeah. so, you know, the, that was every year they built the bonfire and it fell over. So, yeah, it was a tough time for, for A&M. Yeah, no kidding. And, you know, obviously they've, I'm assuming, replaced stuff that's a little bit more uh, scalable and, and a little safer. So are you a Johnny Manziel fan? You know, I mean, he did some good things. <laughs> <laughs> let's take, wanna, let's take character aside. Let's yeah. take character aside. Do you respect him as a football player yeah, I think or appreciate his talents? Yeah, he, he had some talents while he was at A&M. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I always like to ask that because you get uh, some interesting answers and folks that have actually ran into him or gone out with him or... You know, just uh, he's got he's led an interesting path. So for all the young listeners out there going to A and M, don't follow Johnny Football's path. Right. <laughs> follow my man Stephen Pope's path. <laughs> anyway, so you go to A and M, you graduate with chemical engineering. What happens after that? Yeah, you know, so. I was really accustomed to the chemical plants, which is a whole different world. It's a fascinating world, you know, with uh, with tons of reactors and separators and pipelines, and I studied to handle all that kind of stuff, but. I didn't really know the details of where all of the stuff originated and yeah. it's, and it's upstream, right? It's, it's in the oil and gas part of it where you get the net, you know, the natural gas that feeds into the chemical plants. And, mm-hmm. and so, uh, it was my senior year before my super senior lap that I took a, uh, took an internship at Incana and cool. started in facilities and, and learned kind of the basics of what was going on, you know, and how to get that oil and gas to to market? And yeah, so, where which in Canada office? It was in Dallas. It was oh, in okay. Dallas office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't have that office there anymore. No, it's all that's in Denver, right. right. That's right. They yeah. they consolidated, moved to Denver. You know, and so ended up fast forward a little bit. I ended up taking you know full time job within Canada because there was so much more to oil and gas that I didn't know about, and I wanted to learn about it. And I was yeah. especially interested in getting out there and doing the you know the operations and and learning how these these wells get drilled and, and it just seemed fascinating to me. So I ended up taking the full-time job in Incana. And, and like you say, the, the Dallas office, I was there for four years and the Dallas office ended up getting closed down. And so they, they moved, you know, quite a few people to, to the Denver office, but I was looking for something, you know, more in Texas. I hear you, uh, which is surprising because most people jump at the opportunity to get to that's Denver. That's exactly right. Everybody loves, you know, you know, Colorado, and it is beautiful. It is beautiful, but sure. my family's here in Texas. Yeah. My family has a ranch in Llano, which is west of Austin. I just, oh, cool. I just, you know, don't want to leave this wonderful state. Yeah, well, they, I, everyone from Texas says this is God's country. Yeah, so, you right. know, and, and even the folks in Midland, I don't know how they say that, but they somehow can, can <laughs> somehow say they, that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but no, I appreciate it. you're tied to your roots and, and, you know, you obviously keep family and everyone close by, you know, true to your heart. So, yeah, I can appreciate that. Yeah. And so, uh, for those four years in Canada, that was on facilities as well, or was that? Uh, so, I actually... One great thing about the big companies is that they'll rotate you around, Mm -hmm. and especially if you're right out of school. So they rotated me from facilities to reservoir and then into drilling. Oh, cool. And and you kind of line that up so that you make it happen because your last rotation may end up being where you stay for a little while. Yeah. And so I, I kind of pulled some strings to make sure that my last rotation was drilling because I thought I might want to stay there. Very cool. So what attracted you to the drilling side of things? Man, it's just, it's, it's great. It's neat because, you know, 
you're you're working with with the guys on the rig, you know, and you're and so you've got all kinds of different per- different personalities, and, and it's a practical application for science, right? Like you, you know, all this all this studying that you do in the classroom and is 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 so it, it's interesting to me, but it was also grueling for me. My mm. time at A and M was you know for the hardest years of my life because wow. you know I'm just I'm not naturally I guess. Uh, what would you say is classic, um, sure. you know, but I do love taking problems, solving them and, and then applying them in reality. And you get to do that every day with drilling. Yeah. It's, know? it's that, you know, as much as we say, you know, you try not to be focused on instant gratification, but in drilling, I find there's a lot of that. It's, yeah. you know, you, you pull out a hole, you want to try a new bit, change some mud properties, you know, adjust your target. I mean, you can literally make a decision and within hours see the the outcome. And so the return on your investment is simply, you know, on a micro level is, is very instant. And it's mm-hmm. neat to be able to see because you can push a button, pull a lever, you know, tighten up a knot and, and see, you know, how it all plays out. So, right. I mean, that's, you know, I can identify because that's sort of certainly why, you know, I enjoy the drilling fluids world is, you know, let's change this property. Let's add that. Let's see this and let's see how the whole, you know, how the whole reacts and, oh, and reacts. you can keep going. So, yeah, no, that's that's interesting you say that. So, yeah, you're focused on your drilling there in Canada, and then you was four years, and then you something happened there that they closed down an office. You wanted to stay in Texas, and and then you jumped into uh, where was it after Conoco Phillips? After oh, that's that. right, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. what did you do over there? So you know, I so at in Canada, I got an opportunity to go to shoot Tuscaloosa Marine, Marine Shale and yes. and Hainesville, Mississippi Lime. And and some in the Woodford Shale as well. Yeah, up in the stack there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you know, just lots of opportunity, and 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 also the opportunity to go get on the rig and, and cool, and you know, see what was going on with these guys that I would eventually be talking to on the phone, you know, but, mm-hmm. but to go just stay two weeks on, two weeks off type of thing with the guys on the rig, and and so that was that was a great experience, and so so then I. I Hired on at Conoco Phillips and same type of thing, less different plays that I was going to because this was all in the Eagleford. Oh, okay. So you got some of that South Texas experience. Exactly. Nice. That's, that's the funny thing. That was the first time I'd been in South Texas, you know, but great opportunity and, and great also, you know, moved down to Houston at the time because, uh, you know, I was in Dallas, but my family's kind of more from the Houston area. So interesting. So it worked out great. Yeah. Yeah, and you know at, at Conoco there was a there's a you know more opportunity as well because here they are on the larger company side of things, right? And so they're applying data analytics like I'd never seen it done before, right? Um, using things like Spotfire and programs like that. Even back then when you were with them, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. that was kind of towards the very beginning of the big data analytics. I, I, I feel like I mean yeah. maybe there was stuff going on that. I what year was about. it that you went to Conoco? That would have been two thousand and. 12 i think okay yeah, 2012 yeah, yeah right before the well somewhat right before the downturn yeah yeah that's right okay so was there a big culture shift that you've seen from in canada to conoco i mean in canada being a canadian company obviously and then <laughs> right you know they're not quite nearly as big as conoco but was it was a transition pretty seamless or did you have to kind of change your ways and how you approach different problems or decision making or you know i feel like 
I feel like that the shift between those two was not near as much as the shift between Conoco and, and Durango. That I'm we'll sure talk about later. Yeah. You know, both in Canada and, and Conoco are great companies. It had more, I guess, people with, with your accent at, at in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Had on. a lot of had a lot of people from, from Canada come down. Yeah. And you know, just just great people that I work with at, at both places. I really enjoyed and, you know, both of my opportunities there yeah very cool what so you jumped in the eagleford back and so in 2012 that was relative the eagleford because i'm trying to think back because i went to the marcellus in 2010 and that's when the marcellus and sort of utica stuff started kicking off and it was kind of right at this around the same time the eagleford started kicking off so mm-hmm. you kind of got into the ground floor of, of their program or somewhat the ground floor you know when i when I got there, well, I don't know, maybe you'd say it was kind of the third quarter because when I got there, they were at 15 rigs. And yeah. By the time I was gone, they were, you know, down to two, right? Okay. So they were at 15, planning to ramp up to 20, but you know how, uh, you know, the oil, oil price changed things. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know, and at that point I was looking for kind of the next opportunity and, and I really enjoy having, having stuff to do, right? Yeah. And, and so once... Once you ramp from 15 rigs down to only two, there's there's just not as as much true impact that you get to have. And right. so, so at that point, a friend of mine from Encana actually told me about a smaller company just down the road called Durango Resources. Yeah. And he said, man, this place has, you know, a lot of future potential. And so he introduced me to Durango. And so I went from, you know, I went from, 12,000 person company to a six person company. No right? kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Drill, went from drilling $7 million Eagleford wells to doing $200,000 workovers <laughs> and, and, and sitting on workover rigs, you know, I mean, I had some, some, I guess, surface knowledge of it as to what was going on, but I'd never really sat on a workover rig. I'd been on drilling rigs the whole time. And, and just the way things go on a workover rig is, it's so different from a drilling rig. I mean, yeah. you're, you're so how so at, like on a macro level, what makes it so different? Well, I mean, for one, you're, you're looking at, you know, dollar wise, it's, it's, it's totally different ball game, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're looking at saving, you know, thousands of dollars, whereas on drilling rigs, you're looking at saving millions of dollars and, and you have to, or, or, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Maybe you pay attention to the, to the dollar figures differently. And then you also have 24 hour operation on a drilling rig, a workover rig. I mean, you're, typically shutting down for the night. Right. You know, and, and so, and, and you, you also aren't going to sign long extended contracts and kick off a drilling program as much with a, with a workover rig. So, yeah. So for the people who aren't familiar with, with drilling in general, what would be, you know, a typical scope of say a regular drilling rig versus a workover rig? Like they obviously have two different goals and the scopes are completely different, right? Right. So can you just briefly describe the difference between yeah. each would well or per se or what? Right. Would right. Do? So, so when you, I mean, for drilling is, you know, you're drilling the well just as fast as you can, setting the pipe and getting, getting out of there. Workover rig is everything after that happens, right? So, you know, whenever you're and going back in, maybe setting a packer in the hole, setting uh, like in a couple of weeks, we're going to go, you know, do a perforating job and, and do it and set an ESP, you know, setting a pump, getting everything in line to have the pumping units. I mean, for the person that's not familiar with this kind of stuff, the yeah. pumping units that you see going up and down in the field, drilling rig isn't responsible for getting that out there that's the workover rig you know on the production side yeah and so that's the amazing thing is that you know moving from 
a big company where I was, I guess, you know, small cog in the wheel over to Durango where it's like, man, I've got the opportunity to see from the ground, you know, for all the way from cradle to grave, all of these, these wells we've, we've just drilled two wells, which I can tell you about later, but yeah, you know, and, and all the way from surveying and regulatory, getting the land cleared to spud all the way, you know, through drilling to TD and now the workovers and, 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 and everything that, you know, and getting them on production yeah, and then, and then, uh, making sure they're optimized. You know, I've, I've gotten to be involved in every single part of that operation. So that's, that's cool. Yeah. So kind of backing up a little bit, you know, going from a large operator where, you know, Conoco regard, they're not quite I guess, restricted with regards to commodity prices. They can withstand the downturns. Absolutely. Obviously, they do great in the upswings. What what kind of like mindset or, or thought process did you have making that leap of faith, going from a company that's obviously extremely stable, chances of them, you know, filing Chapter 11 at, you know, $45 oil is not going to happen. Like, where did you, did, did you kind of go through some, you know, pros and cons or what did that look like? making that shift because there's a lot of folks out there that you know they they graduate school they get on with a large opera they got all this experience and they're starting to think you know wow i'd like to play a bigger role and and sort of make some sort of bigger decisions take on more responsibility which unless you're willing to put in the 20 or 30 years at a company like conoco you really don't get to move up as fast as say you know those smaller companies so what what kind of advice and what kind of you know things can you sort of feed for the audience to, 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 to give them some confidence that making that decision is, is certainly something that is doable. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that, you know, you got to consider, you know, what, what opportunities are out there and, and understand that, I mean, there is, there's a lot more opportunity for you if, if you work for a smaller company, you know, to, to make a big, big impact. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I even remember, you know, I mean, just the challenges at, at, at Conoco, would, would be if I, if I wanted to do something slightly different, I mean, it takes, you know, just changing a bit, right. It's, it's, it's kind of a work of, of Congress. I mean, you're, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're you know, and so I was, I, I went from, like I said, from 12,000 people to, to six, I went from a somewhat unlimited budget to a very limited budget and, and went from having a totally standardized procedure. I mean, the procedure for drilling an Eagleford well for basically, you know, most of the companies is, is very kind of standard to, Hey, this field is, is your oyster, you know, go and, mm-hmm. and, and see what, what you can do. And, and when I make recommendations to, you know, my boss and the team, they, they listen, you know? Yeah. And, and so it's, it's, it's been great. Cool. So tell us a little bit about Durango then. What's the story behind them? They're, I've heard them kind of, their name float around a little bit here and there, but nothing in detail. Sure, sure. So Durango is a you know smaller EMP company. We've got a legacy field called the Richard King Field. So Durango started as Swanson Consulting. My boss and CEO, his father was Don Swanson. Okay. And he used to have you know up to 30 geologists doing geological consulting for their for big companies, you know, Exxon, Mobil, and, and Shell, and all the rest. And one of the companies they did work for was Penn, Virginia. Mm, and okay. so Mainly South Texas stuff, right? That's right. Virginia? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so Penn, Virginia had this legacy Richard King field at the time. And my boss decided that he'd like to head more in the EMP route. And so 
So he traded in sweat equity for the Richard King asset. And so that's what we have today. And, you know, it's a, it's a great asset with the uh, Frio Sands. Okay. Just, uh, just west of Corpus Christi. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is that the the Frio? Is that a, something that's been around for a while? Because that was an old conventional playwright. Or it's been a long around. It's got a, a long history, a very too, doesn't long it? Time. And that's the crazy thing is that you know I'm going from ConocoPhillips where I'm looking at these procedures and doing exactly what there is, and then I switch over to this company and I'm, I'm looking at old well files from like the 1940s, you know, and piecing through them and trying to put together the mystery of what happened to these wells back in the forties, yeah. you know? And, and I'm thinking, man, this is like during world war two, <laughs> this guy's sitting out here drilling this well, yeah. you know? And you know, it's just, it's just fascinating to think that this field has been around this long and the oil that it made was actually fueling our efforts in world war ii you know okay oh i didn't even know that is that true (laughs) yeah holy smokes absolutely i didn't know that little history there that's pretty neat and back obviously in those days they they didn't have the technology we have so those were all just vertical wells just vertical wells yeah and are they drilling horizontal now in those areas or yeah absolutely and so you know i think that's one of the biggest things that is that is going on right now is that they're starting to drill these horizontal wells and and existing formerly you might say depleted reservoirs you know because i mean you've got kind of the swiss cheese model where you've got lots of different wells penetrating the acreage Mm -hmm. in a vertical perspective well if there's still a lot of remaining oil in place and we believe that there is and i'll tell you a little more about reservoir grail and you know why that's convinced us that not only in our field there's still remaining oil but in lots of these other you know more conventional legacy assets there's a lot of remaining oil left in place okay. and so all we've got to do is figure out how to go get it right yeah, no and kidding. that's exactly what happened with the shale play we said you know there's got to be oil left in place down there now we got to figure out how to go get it well it was a very expensive procedure in order to do that whenever we first started in the shale and now it's a it's it's a much less expensive procedure to to do that to go get it out of the sands because yeah. the sands are a lot shallower you're looking at 5600 feet in our case and yeah. so you can drill down there and you know and and do these horizontal wells i think it's i think it's the next big thing i think it's the new unconventional conventional revolution that that's that's going to be happening i think small operators like durango are going to going to pave the way very cool and i've i actually interviewed a gentleman with spe not too long ago and he had some pretty strong thoughts and and we had a good discussion around enhanced oil recovery does that have a place in the frio sands area or we've tried things like that do you mean like vibrating technology and um, or just just different methodologies to it just different methodologies to enhance the recovery of oil. I mean, I don't, I'm Something not Something very... as simple as like water flooding. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah we and, and so that's, in fact, that's kind of our story and I really should have prefaced it with that until, you know, a couple of years ago, the technology just wasn't there to drill horizontals and stay within the, the upper, you know, two feet of these shales to where you'd stay within the pay. So before that, we were doing a water flood story, right? Ah, and okay. so, you know, I mean, and that's that's the way you do it. You pump well, pump water into the existing wells, turn them into injection wells, and then and then you'll just circulate just a ton of water hmm. and and maybe a skim of oil, and and slowly over time you'll get all of the remaining oil, you know, 
theoretically never never works 100 percent that way right yeah you'll always leave remaining oil in place so that's a good way to develop these legacy fields is to is to do water flooding but i'm i'm starting to become convinced that the better way is to drill horizontal wells in these in yeah. these fields very cool so you mentioned a, a term here not too long ago and something that i'm really interested in is is reservoir grail I've heard mentioned, but not familiar with what it actually is. So can you describe what Reservoir Grail is? Yeah. So along with geological consulting, Jeff created a team to establish a program called Reservoir Grail. Cool. And the model is simple input, powerful results. And so you can check out our our website. And if you got any further questions about it, just let me know. But uh, basically the input is, you know, a geological map, a net sand map kind of a pH map and then you know or, or, and then you put the reservoir parameters in locations of the wells and historical production and based on agent based simulation we can we can tell you you know a, a lot more information about what your what your reservoir is doing right wow. so it's a it's a modeling software and it's not too different from, you know, Eclipse is kind of the standard modeling software out there nowadays, but Eclipse is a little bit more complex because it requires pressure data. This program was built back in the 2000s and like the model or like the slogan is, you know, it's a simple input. So it doesn't require anything that you shouldn't already have about your reservoir. You should have all the you know, maps and the, and the historical data. So hmm. put those in and then using a slightly different technology, instead of using Darcy's law, right? It, it uses this Walker technology is hmm. what we call it. And, and you can kind of map out what your, what your reservoir looks like. It's no kidding. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty neat. So that's something you guys developed in house. Right, right. Okay. So and is that the patents for it? Oh, and that's what I was just going to ask you. So if it's a patented uh, software, I guess. And mm-hmm. then is that something that you market to the industry or we, we market it a little bit, you know, our focus right now with the six of us is, is primarily the EMP side, but sure. we've got a few clients, including Apache and, and, and Apache has actually successfully, you know, used the software to, to really, truly develop a lot of their uh, water flood assets. No kidding. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, so we've got a few big clients that kind of continue to work with us and, and we don't focus a whole lot on on the marketing side, this this yeah. podcast right now is about the most marketing we've done in, in quite a while. Well, you know, I've got to say, you know, it's interesting you say that in, you know, podcasting and, and our, our industry is certainly going into a, a, an, a shift on how we share information, what kind of content mm-hmm. we put out there. So I encourage you guys, I mean, I know you're a, a team of six, so you may not have the bandwidth, but things like LinkedIn, mm-hmm. um, as funny as it sounds, Facebook, YouTube, you know, right now the ability to share content is just, is is extremely powerful. And, right. and so if you're not building awareness around something or building a brand it's you, you kind of become irrelevant because everyone else is jumping on the opportunity so you know obviously your focus is emp but i wouldn't shy away from from you know trying to post some things and and share the the information because it seems like it's extremely valuable and if you're saying there's eclipse and and you guys that's there's not too much market share to fight right. after i mean it's one or the other so it seems to me like there's lots of opportunity there but 
nonetheless you guys have i'll put the link in the show notes for the website that way people can check it out but yeah again no it's interesting you mentioned that and certainly something i haven't come across but i'm not a reservoir guy but for any of you res- reservoir gurus out there it may be something to you know hit up steven here and take another look at you know how you guys are evaluating reservoirs so i think that's really neat man anything else that you go you guys kind of do a little unique to the industry or is that pretty much your the bread and butter with you know aside from the emp stuff yeah i think that's that's kind of the bread and butter you know we've got the the reservoir grail and geological you know consulting as well as opportunities there so yeah very cool know, and, and we'll see how this works as far as the unconventional conventional revolution <laughs> i like that Recently, you guys made a Permian acquisition for something around $23 million. Is that right? Out, and I forget who it was, but tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that was a, that was a really neat opportunity, too. You know, again, this is, this is totally something that I wouldn't have been involved in, you know, in, in, in a larger company, is, is all of the business deals and the business side of things. But, yeah, we did a deal in the Permian, found some acreage out there that looked looked as though it could be downspaced and so we we made a bid and and we ended up winning the bid and so cool. as my boss said at the time we got a tiger by the tail and so we <laughs> uh we we looked for opportunities to to do the funding of the of the acquisition we ended up finding one and those 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 people ended up operating but it's just been it, it was just neat you know i pulled together afes for what the plans for drilling and downspacing the acreage would be like and and i got to see the business side of it very um, cool was that interesting to you yeah it's neat to me i don't i don't know if it's my forte you know i, I like i like the technical side of things too gotcha but, but you know, when it's all integrated into the same meeting, it's fascinating. I've really gotten to learn a lot from my boss about how deals are made, and he's very, very good at it. Cool. So you, so you guys have drilled a few wells out there, then you said, or so the other company ended up operating. Gotcha. The company that came in and funded it. Um, okay. Was it operating. a was it a success for you guys, or yeah, yeah, cool. it, was a, it was a success for Durango. Very absolutely. good. Very good. Does AI or big data analytics play a role on on your current, you know, what you do on a day-to-day basis? Because that's constant buzzwords flying around. And so I'm always interested to see if, you know, people, if under what, you know, whatever discipline they're in, if if they're starting to use a lot of that stuff. Right. No, absolutely. You know what is is really making a difference nowadays for companies like Durango is just the amount of freebies that are out there as far as technology. You wouldn't believe, you know, because... Here I was learning about Spotfire while at Conoco, and I thought, man, that's a great program. Then I moved over, and especially along with the acquisition that I was telling you about, it's a big acquisition, just trying to get my hands around everything that needed to happen. And I thought, man, if I could only have Spotfire, if I could only, you know, get 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 my hands on, you know, a copy of that program. But, yeah. but it's, it's it's expensive and justifying that to the boss. And so so then I found this program called Power BI, which is powered by Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. And so <laughs> so you can just, you know, so so I was able to handle big data, you know, for for free. It's, it's, wow. it's, it's all part of it. And, and so then you've got that and then, you know, and then we've got OneDrive out there, which if you have a Microsoft subscription, it's part of it. Mm-hmm. And, and OneDrive has also been incredible for us, especially on the drilling side of things. Cause look, we're not drilling, you know, full drilling program and Wellview is a great program. I guess in, in some cases it's like the bane of your existence, but it was a great yeah. program, you know, at, at, at ConocoPhillips, but it doesn't make sense if you're only going to go drill the one or two off, you know, 
offset wells. It's really more for if you have a full program going on. So I took a lot of time to develop, I guess, a a drilling report that automatically feeds in through Excel. And that way we're keeping track of all this data, keeping Mm -hmm. track of all the information, everything that my drilling supervisor puts in, he types it in, links it over, and then it's instantly in my computer, which is actually faster than Wellview because with Wellview, you've got to sync things up and resync it. And okay. With OneDrive, it's automatically synced. Right. And, and my, the way I developed the program, you got inputs over here, and then you got your output general report, just like what Wellview has. And oh. so I was able to kind of, you know, do that and, and generate a brand new thing. If anybody wants to, you know, borrow my spreadsheet, they're absolutely <laughs> welcome to. I think it was very a, cool. No, that's neat that you're, you know, self willing to help someone out with that because that that sounds like for companies of your size extremely valuable and you know you don't always have to spend you know the big money to to drive you know different results or get deliverables that you know you use on a daily basis and i have to you know say with power bi the company i work for aes we actually developed a platform called aes analytics and so what we do is you know we gather all this you know mud data and we're able to generate real-time kpis and you know, trend analyses and stuff like that. And so it's something that, you know, we've got a team of data scientists, if you will, you know, working extremely hard in the background to deliver something like that to, to, you know, our customers and something that we use internally, which, you know, so again, Power BI is is something that I've never, like in the mud world, you don't really use much software other than, you know, it's, 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 you know, other than like the mud program itself when you're generating a mud report or something like that. But I've had a, a huge appreciation for, for that side of things. And so, yeah, you don't always have to spend the big bucks to get, you know, to get the fancy stuff. That's so, right. That's yeah. right. And w- while we're talking about software, just got, you know, Reservoir Grail, right? There Sim- you go. Simple input, powerful results. It's yeah. It's also, you know, more affordable, right? Yeah. No, it's, I certainly like that stuff. And again, there's a, there's a place for, you know, the sort of the bigger high end stuff, but you can certainly make it work if you're on a budget. So, That's which, right. you know, exactly. we're, Right now, you know, in the oil industry, we're we're on a budget every day. I feel like, you know, with the downturn hangover. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Right. Definitely. Good deal. So, what would you say? I mean, kind of, you know, taking a step back, looking at everything. What do you like like most about your job? You know, how, what do you what keeps you motivated and just keep you know grinding every day, coming to work? Is there is there something specific about Durango or what you do that keeps you know you engaged? Man, I just I just love the you know the new opportunities that, that come up each day, right? I mean, there's, and, and different ways to go about thinking about things. I love working together with the team. We had actually Steve Pearson came into our office uh, just about a year ago. He's the former VP of Citation and Anadarko before that. Yeah. You know, and so he's he's got tons of experience. And I mean, he used to have 400 people reporting to him. Wow. And so, so he comes over and is is basically helping out Durango and and I've just learned, you know, so much from him, so much from, you know, Greg and, and Jeff, you know, the, the the older guys in the office have, have taught me, you know, so much about that that I just didn't know, you know, about huh. geology production, business deals. And so I love learning new things and love that we all really ultimately come together as a team to try to to try to find the oil, try to go yeah. get it and try to make make this thing a success. Right. So it sounds like you, you guys have a, a very unique and, and special culture within Durango. Yeah. And, you know, nowadays I think culture is so important. And, and you know, you even talk to some folks and people would actually, believe it or not, would give up 
uh, a little bit of extra income for a company with good culture. And so, you know, who sets that precedence within your company? Does it start at, you know, leadership down or how, how have you guys created that environment? Huh, that's a good question as far as, you know, company culture and, and leadership. I think, I think one bad apple can, can have a tendency to, to ruin, you know, a culture if, if, mm-hmm. if you don't watch out for it. But I, I, I think that we're fortunate to not, you know, necessarily have any, any, any bad apples. And so we all work together as a team in, in this case. Yeah. I do think that, you know, leadership is, is something that should be done kind of from the servant level. Right. Yes. Um, and so, so I think that, I think that Jeff does a great job of leading the team, but I think that we all look to ourselves to be leaders as well. Right? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That makes, that's a good answer, man. So Steven, do you have any daily routines or habits that keep you focused and motivated to keep grinding? Yeah. You know, I guess as far as daily habits and routines, my wife and I are reading through the Bible in a year this year. And so we've been, that's, which is, which is a lot. So we've been doing that every evening. Okay. Do that and, and pray together. Right. And I think just Very a cool. simple reminder of, you know, spending time in the word and acknowledging that my true source of strength is, is not myself, but mm. from, from God. Yeah. Is it hard to digest? Cause I've like read the Bible a little bit. I haven't read it from front to back, but I just find I get so, con- it's like reading poetry and, like it's just it's hard to digest. Like, it how is. do you? Is it just through repetitive reading? It slowly starts to sink in, or no? It is. It is. There's, you know, it seems like every other night or so we come across a a passage where we're just like, man, this is challenging. Like, I don't understand exactly what it's saying, you know, or I don't know what this means for me. You know, why why are we why are we reading through this and the best thing we can do in that time is, is usually to press into it. It's funny because sometimes we'll come across something that we have read before and they're like, well, we never really understood it, but always just skimmed across it. And then, then you research it and, and, and everything is, is, is actually a lot simpler to explain. And it was just, we created a stumbling block for ourselves. Yeah. And that's what I would say to, you know, digress, I guess a little bit, but you know, that's what I would say about the, about the, young earth versus old earth like it's it's these stumbling blocks that we create for ourselves because we say you know we say well the bible can't be trusted because i just talked to a buddy this week who said the bible he used to believe that the bible couldn't be trusted because the time from when jesus was on the earth to the time when the people wrote the wrote the book was you know 60 years so who's going to remember a story 60 years later <laughs> and then he said you know i was in a Bible study for the reasons of political gain and didn't, didn't really believe what I was hearing, but hmm. I read the book, I read John fourteen twenty six where it says, and the Holy spirit will come to you and he will remind you of these things. And he said, the scales fell off and all of a sudden he realized that he was creating that as a stumbling block because he had ultimately sin, right? That, that, you know, we're trying to guard. And, and he said, once, once he saw that God could handle his stumbling block and push past it, then he could be free of that sin that he was trying to protect. And he could turn that over to God. And, and, and he's, you know, and he's, he's, since then he's accepted Christ. Wow. And cool. So, what a neat story. Yeah, huh. yeah. Have you ever considered like leading a Bible study or something? Cause you seem pretty like dialed into this. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I guess the other thing you talk about daily habits for success. Uh, we, we, you know, at our, 
house, we host a Bible study every oh, week. There you and go. Then, nice. And then I do men's Bible studies every week as well. And so, Good for you, so man. kind of got the weekly habits for success. And I got, you know, we keep each other accountable and have, you know, continual dialogue with each other to just say, hey, man, just checking in. You, uh, yeah. you doing all right today? So, so why do you offer that? Like, what is it something that you enjoy giving back? Do you just enjoy the subject matter? Like, what, what makes you want to do that? What? Like hosting the stuff at your house. Yeah. Not everyone wants to do it, right? Like people yeah. like to be involved, but to take it upon yourself to invite people into your home and, and to really help others. I mean, where does that come from? And, is and, it, and why do you do that? Well, you know, I mean, for one, it, it, it helps me, right? Because it, it keeps me centered in my faith. And then for two, it's like what you were talking about earlier. What about this generation? And, mm. you know, I've got eight month old little girl now and I care about, you know, not just her safety, but I care about her, you know, her strength and her, her spirituality, right? I care about her loving God in the way that I do. And, and, mm-hmm. and I care about her generation. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, it's, it's through the family that we actually change the culture. And, and very cool. And so I think having Bible studies like this, you know, changes our, our families and changes, changes ultimately the culture of, of America. And it's, it's mm-hmm. hopefully what pushes back on that kind of fake tolerance that I'm talking about and, and focuses people back on what the true truth actually is. Yeah. Wow. I love it, man. That's certainly something that is very helpful. And, and I think a lot of people are searching for opportunities and for people to, to take them in to, to share those experiences and learn from someone like yourself, who's obviously got a good handle on it. And so, yeah, I applaud you for that. That's, that's really cool. We're getting, uh, getting close to time out here, but I always like to close out with a few things. So what's something about you that not many people know about? Do you have any, you know, good hidden secrets or unique hobbies or, or something that you can unleash here? So I'm seventh generation Texan. Oh, wow. So seventh generation. How many years does that go? I'm like, proud of that. Shoot, man. It's it's literally back since what, I guess the eighteen thirties. Oh wow. <laughs> the, That's you know, cool, man. Along with Stephen F. Austin's original three hundred. Not not in the original three hundred, but shortly thereafter. Wow. So what are some of the I mean, there's all the obvious ones, but in seven generations, what are like some huge historical moments for texas because i mean i'm from canada so i only know like the very little ones so like out of my self like selfishness curiosity like what's has what's happened over seven generations (laughs) i'm sure when i tell you you know the original 300 like that doesn't really mean much to you but in texas we're forced to take texas history um, (laughs) i should probably do some a little great subject in in seventh grade and but no so you know my great great grandfather Great, 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 three greats. Grandfather fought in the Battle of San Jacinto. And so that's where my family got, you know, ultimately my family got the ranch from. You know, I used to think that it was from directly from fighting the battle that, that the land grant came. But it turns out that I was wrong all this time and he ended up getting just a few ponies out of the deal. But oh. at the time, ponies were so much more valuable than land was because land is easy to get. So he took those ponies, headed up to central Texas, traded, you know, traded them in for land. I, I'm sure no that's way. not exactly how it worked. My cousin is, a, you know, a little bit more in in <laughs> tune with what exactly happened. But, sure. you know, that's, that's, uh, that's generally what happened. So he got some ponies and traded them for like 30,000 acres in central wow. Texas. Wow. I wonder if you could trade some ponies out for some Permian acres. <laughs> <laughs> it would take a hell of a lot of ponies to get some good acreage out of it. a lot of ponies. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't think they're making those transactions anymore. It's more how many Benjamins do people want, yeah. not so much ponies. It'd be a lot of them. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. No, that's neat, man. Or, or, I mean, anything else that your family's been a part of? Then after that, my great great grandfather, so the other one's son, fought in the last Indian battle in Texas last you know cowboy versus indian battle yeah. ever to take place he led it up the battle of pack it's called the battle of pack saddle mountain okay uh, i've, heard, I've heard of it but again i'm not dialed in with what it is but yeah wow so yeah you, you're genetically predisposed to a lot of cool stuff man <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you could go to battle and you know do land deals all sorts of stuff that's uh <laughs> That's pretty neat, man. Anything yeah. else? <laughs> I don't know if we have time for the full story. Um, <laughs> what's, but... the, what's the coolest Texas, you know, moment in time that your family was a part of? Other than those other two, is there anything else that was really neat? <laughs> those are those are the coolest that I can think of. Okay, well, hey, that's enough, man. What else? You got any anything else you can share? Like, not Texas history aside, but you mentioned a, a couple other things to me that I thought were pretty unique. <laughs> well, a fun story was I got into beekeeping. Yeah, so our that's office. definitely unique. <laughs> Tell me more, because I love honey. <laughs> I love honey, too. That's actually what got me into it. Our office, like I mentioned, is is just down the street. I mean, like yeah. three blocks from where we're at right now on Britmore. And, you know, I, I have a bottle of honey at my desk and, you know, was sitting there eating it on a spoonful of peanut butter. Oh, that's and, uh, the best. <laughs> and, you know, my coworker, Greg, geologist, came in one day and he's just like, you like honey so much, why don't you just, you know start getting some out of those bees out there i was like what are you talking about he said look in the courtyard and there's a old cedar tree and it has you know a, a crevice in it and sure enough hmm. there are honey bees that were that were flying in and out of it and so no like, way Man, you know what greg i'm gonna do it and so i got all the equipment and built a little wire mesh funnel that allowed the bees to get out but not back into their old hive and then and then uh, then and then they got them into my box and the crazy like i say i mean we're right in here in the middle of houston and so i set this up you know just down the street and started collecting a whole bunch of the bees and so i i tried to get into beekeeping in that way okay um, you know progressed forward a little ways i was right in the heart of it getting stung like i was gonna ask so how did that all go because like right away i'm thinking like no one likes to be around bees because the chance of getting stung are about 100 percent. yeah so yeah, yeah just, i mean like, i had the I had the gear on but but sure enough you know i'm gonna get stung is that right? like the this big mesh helmet they're like mm -hmm. hat thing with exactly. like the gloves and you're yeah, walking around yeah oh yeah. my so goodness. i bought all that and, yeah. and had it tucked in every morning i'd go 10 to my bees and then yeah and then come into the office and the guys would look at me and they're like what is wrong with your face and <laughs> hey man <laughs> play with play with bees you're gonna get stung so. no kidding <laughs> so how much honey so are you still doing it no man yeah so i tried to get a I tried to get the queen, but you'll never get the queen to leave her hive. There's so many interesting bee, bee facts that I I started to geek out. Oh, I'm sure. I, I told my coworkers, I'm like, man, if I get back into this, you got to stop me because I'm getting stung and I'm just nerding out over it. Nobody yeah. cares about me and all my bee information. But anyway, so at one time I was, I was supposed to be in a buddy's wedding and got out there the morning before. I thought, you know, I'm not going to get stung. And sure enough, I got stung like right above the eye and no amount Ooh. of 
antihistamines are going to keep me from <laughs> <laughs> showing up in the pictures at the wedding. <laughs> no way. So embarrassed. Oh, so you still did it though, I'm sure. Did you go in the yeah. wedding and everybody, yeah, everybody yeah, was just like, to the wedding and, and <laughs> you know, I tried to stay out of the pictures if I could, but I'm sure I, your buddy didn't care, but I'm sure his wife was not yeah, too happy. She probably wasn't that happy, but maybe she had other more important things going on. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly. hilarious. So then, you know, Right in the heart of my beekeeping days, I was keeping the was keeping the equipment there in my toolbox, and I went out for one of the workovers. and And while I was down there in our you know South Texas field, one of one of the other things I was doing was clearing some land so we could get to one of the wells we hadn't been to in a while. Just had to get get around to it. Mm-hmm. And, and there's this old electrical panel, and sure enough, that sucker is full, chock full of bees, and I'm, oh. uh, and most people are, are like, you know, oh gosh, I'm running the other direction, the bulldozer operator didn't want anything to do with it, but me, I'm like, oh man, this is great. Yeah, That's jackpot. Jackpot, it's a total layup for, you know, for there to be an open panel where all you got to do is open the side door, and then you can just rob the hive, and then go back and, and close the panel back up, so... So that's what I did. I robbed the hive and, and got, you know, I didn't get much because these were actually Africanized bees. So I was, okay. I was even more scared of them. <laughs> but I, I smoked them real good, robbed the hive, got about, you know, I don't know, maybe a, a liter of, of honey at the most. Shared some of it with the railroad commission lady who was nice. out there checking our signage. Good you know, call. <laughs> catch more flies with honey, right? So, yeah. So anyway, that's about the extent of my success on the on the beekeeping. Uh, the my my hive ended up dying. Oh man, that's pretty cool though, isn't? So I've heard is the the bee population is slowly diminishing, and yeah. somehow that's going to like wipe out mankind. Like, have you heard this this conspiracy? <laughs> Sounds like a conspiracy as far as wiping out mankind. There was a big dip in it last year, but I actually think it's it's starting to come back up. Ooh, so. Thank goodness. I was starting to worry. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> You're still able to get your honey. Good, good. Well, look, let's take a few minutes to tell everyone about our upcoming events. Hey, guys. We have a couple of OGGN events on deck for the next month. OGGN's next Houston Happy Hour will be on October 29th at the Cannon for 4 to 6. As always, a portion of the proceeds will go toward Redeem Ministries to fight human sex trafficking. At this happy hour, we'll be discussing the process of taking a startup from simply an idea to obtaining the first purchase orders. The panel discussion will include Saudi Aramco Ventures, Shell Ventures, NOV, SCF Ventures, Eternal Energy, and Well Diver. Our next Denver happy hour will be on November 6th. Come join us for food, drinks, and a live podcast that we will announce at a later date. A portion of this event's proceeds will go to local charities Safe House Denver and Oil Field Helping Hands. Okay, now to the events on deck. The Tomorrow Lestat Oil and Gas Summit 2019 will be on October 3rd through 4th in Dilly, Tomorrow Lestat. The SMRP third quarter West Houston chapter meeting is on October 3rd at 11:30 in Houston. This event will cover the topic: Are your PMs preventing or causing failures? IPAA and TIPRO are hosting their Leaders in Industry Luncheon on October 9th in Houston. On October 14th, the Canon will be having a Disruptive Energy Workshop. The API Golf Tournament will be held on October 14th, 2019 at Kingwood Country Club. And as of right now, there are some spots still open, so be sure to check their website and register your team. 
The 2019 Operations and Process Technology Summit will be on October 14th through 16th in San Antonio. The summit will cover maximizing your molecular advantage, practical solutions for today, forethought for tomorrow. On October 24th, OGGN's very own Mark LaCour will be speaking at Tech to Market in Shreveport, Louisiana. The Balkans Petroleum Conference will be held on October 24th through 25th in Budva, Montenegro. The summit is the official event for the Balkans oil and gas industries. Lastly, the George H. Bush Conference this year will be on October 28th through 29th in Houston. Honoring President George H.W. Bush, the Bush-China Conference brings together Americans and Chinese to discuss critical bilateral, regional, and global issues and to generate innovative recommendations for advancing the relationship. Awesome. Thank you. I also want to mention the OKC Fin, Feather, and Fur, which will be happening Friday, October 11th. I'm not sure exactly when this episode will air, so if it's already passed, then I apologize. But if not, hit up the AADE website or Courtney Strang with Inwell for more details. That's relatively new for the area, so go show them some love if you can. Anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old-timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And if you're looking to get in shape for back to school or, well, you're probably already in school, or if you got a vacation coming up this winter, hit up KTX Fit in Katy, Texas, and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. Thanks again for listening to Oil & Gas Onshore. If you're looking for more info, visit Oil & Gas Onshore. Stephen, thank you very much for coming on to the show again. I had a blast sitting with you here talking about yeah. all sorts of stuff. Absolutely. Um, if, thank you. Yeah, if people want to get to know more about the company or yourself, I got the link in the show notes for the company. Do you mind if I put your LinkedIn in yeah, there? absolutely. Please cool. Do. We'll do that. And yeah, that's a wrap. And always remember, when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Tune in next week for another captivating episode of Tendeka's Oil & Gas Onshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com. 